your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 11, and we'll be in verses 1 through 13 this morning around uh, several other places as well. But thank you, choir, for leading us beautifully. Orchestra, well done. Uh, we have been led wonderfully well this morning in worship. Uh, let's look at Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. As we begin a new year together, one of the things that we talked about as a staff and as our uh, prayer team is that we wanted to start the year in prayer. We have a lot to pray for, a lot of needs uh, all around us, and we thought that uh, to start this year, we were going to give every opportunity for us uh, to, to pray, corporately, privately, individually, in groups, that we want to start this year in prayer. So what better thing to preach on than prayer? So that's where we're going to start. We're going to walk through this together. And so would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. If you have a pew Bible, it's page three, uh, 735. But if you would, follow along in your copy of God's Word. It's up on the screen uh, or also in your copy in front of you. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was uh, praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who has indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened." His father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray together. Lord, would you teach us? Would you mold us and refine us into your image? Lord, help us. Lord, we want to be people of prayer. So help us to see in your word the fruit of a thriving life of prayer. Or with the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord. You are our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Now, what's interesting in this passage in Luke chapter 11 is of all the things that Jesus would seek to do and all the things that he did do, the disciples would come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us how to do miracles. Teach us how to do the water to wine trick. Lord Jesus, how to multiply the bread. How did you do that, Jesus? But instead, you see in Luke chapter 11, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Of all the things that you did, Jesus, this is what we want to know. We want to know how to pray. So teach us. We, we want to understand what it looks like. How, how do we pray? And so here in this passage, we're going to learn from Jesus, and in parallel passages, we're going, to, we're going to take the task of learning from Jesus and his prayer pattern how to pray, but intertwined in that, I also want to build a case for the urgency and the necessity of prayer. 
All right, so we're going to learn from Jesus in one leg. In the other leg, we're going to learn the urgency and necessity of prayer. And if I do my job right, maybe they'll intertwine together and it'll be a cohesive sermon. And all guys, people said, please, all right. So here's what we're going to do. Two objectives, learn from Jesus' prayer pattern and also build a case for the urgency and necessity of cultivating a thriving, growing, strong prayer life. All right, so that's our goal this morning. Now, if you were to flip over to Mark chapter 14 and you were to see this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Let's build a case for a second. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to endure suffering and terrible hardships. He's about to go. And before he goes, he takes Peter, James, and John to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, if there's any moment in the lives of the disciples for their, their momentous training from Jesus to shine forth, this is it. Right, Jesus is taking them with him, saying, hey guys, we need to pray. Something's coming, right? He's been telling them, something's coming. Y'all pray. This is a big moment. Pray, right? And you know what happens. Jesus goes off, and he's praying so intently. He's sweating drops of blood. And the disciples, what are they doing? They're on their knees. Their eyes are closed. What are they doing? And they're sleeping. And maybe you feel that. You're like, Mark, I want, I want to go. I want to pray through the night. I want to be on my knees praying because I see the urgency. But what does Jesus say? Your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? So maybe we feel like Peter, James, and John. We want it so bad. We want to go with Jesus. We want to pray over the urgent needs that are all around us. But over and over and over again, we find ourselves asleep at the wheel. We're a good company with Peter, James, and John, aren't we? We, we feel Peter, James, and John a lot. We say, man, I want to have a, a thriving prayer life for my kids, but I just, I keep falling asleep. I want to pray for the urgent needs all around the world, but I just, I get distracted. So this morning, let me just walk through with a lot of grace, a lot of practical application, a lot of just, hey, friend to friend, I'm learning, I'm on this process too. We're going to learn together this morning. Can we do that? All God's people said? Amen. Let's learn together, all right? Number one on your outline, what can we learn from Jesus in prayer? One, number one, in Mark chapter 1, 35 through 39, we see that Jesus retreats to a quiet place. All right, let's unpack this together. In Mark chapter 1, 35 through 39, Jesus retreats to a quiet place. Let me read it for us. Mark chapter 1, 35 through 39, it says, In rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him, searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went all throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. I believe that this first point on your outline could be one of the most impactful and practical points that I can give you this morning. From learning on Jesus is that he retreats, first and foremost, to a quiet and desolate place with the intention of praying. Now, you may sit there this morning and you may say, what is a quiet place? Right, we have three kids. There's few quiet places that I've ever experienced in the last seven years. It just doesn't happen as much. And, and maybe you're in that same boat. What is a quiet place? In the culture we live in, do we live in a quiet culture? We live in possibly the loudest, noisiest, busiest, and most distracted culture in the history of mankind. 
Do you know on your phone, if you're an average American, you will receive 46 different notifications per day, 121 emails per day, 85 text messages per day, and you will see an average of over 1,000 advertisements per day on just your device. You go throughout the day and noise is everywhere. Some of you have AirPods that you have noise-canceling functionality, so you pump out the noise around so you can pump in more noise into your ears. Right? We live in a world that we are inundated with noise and some of it is silent. Jesus retreats to a quiet place. Now I want to unpack very briefly just three points on top of this quiet place. Number one is Jesus went to a quiet place. I believe a quiet places can be devoid of distractions. Jesus rose very early in the morning while it was still dark and he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he played, prayed. I, I don't know about y'all, but I'm just going to open up my heart to you again in prayer. How many times have you you've gotten down ready to pray, ready to open up your copy of God's word and read and study and pray only to get a text message that needs a response? Only to have your wrist vibrate with an email or a phone call that you feel like you need to get to. How many times have you got down to pray and all of a sudden a kid cries from another room and you got to get up and go deal with a child that's crying? How many times maybe have you sat down to pray and all of a sudden a thought or a person or a thing comes up and you think, well, I got to go take care of that before I get to do this. If I can just take care of that, then I can come back to pray. And then you go take care of that and then something else spawns up and you go take care of that and you take care of that and then all of a sudden... It's 10 o'clock and you've forsaken that time that you've built to pray. Jesus goes to a place devoid of distractions. A quiet and desolate place. Does that mean that there's no distractions out in this quiet place? No, surely you see that even Simon who was out looking for him, the people who are out looking for him, eventually they find Jesus, right? Those distractions are eventually going to find you. And can I even give you one step further? Maybe you would intentionally seek to go into a quiet place. You leave your watch in another room. You leave your phone in another room. You leave your computer in another room. Can I tell you, for many of us in this room, that will be more distracting than having the things with you. It will take you some time of disconnecting. You will take those first few days, weeks, and feeling like, well, I, gotta, I wonder if somebody's calling me. I wonder if somebody's texting me. I wonder if I got an email. I wonder if somebody's trying to reach me. I wonder if the kids are okay. I wonder if you will spend time in that place rooting out the distraction of not having your distractions with you. And so I tell you that, brother to brother, brother to sister, to tell you, go past that little bit of tension in your heart. Move past it to see those distractions that are eating away at your quiet and desolate place. Jesus goes to a place devoid of all the distractions and needs that were pressing in against him. He goes with the intentionality of going to pray. Number two on your outline, devoid of distraction. Number two, but properly orientation of the day. Jesus goes away to properly orient for the day. You see in verse 35 here that rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he gives us a time frame that he's going out. It's still dark outside. His day has not started. He's likely woken up and intentionally gone out to pray before his day has started, before the demands of the day have been met on him, before the pressures of the day have gotten a hold of him. Jesus is intentionally going out to properly orient for the day that is ahead. Before our day gets started, 
before our heart and soul and mind and brain get thinking about a thousand other things. Jesus intentionally sets the mode of properly orienting himself and soothing and bathing himself in prayer and communication with his father. Sorry to go back to phones so much, but it seems to be a problem in our culture that 89% of American individuals, the first thing that their eyes behold in the morning is the glow from their cell phone. The first thing 89% of Americans see when they wake up is immediately open up their phones looking at email, text, and news. When you think about what your proper orientation is to, and I'm with you on this too, I feel this, that I wake up in the morning, look over, see who's texted, see who's emailed, and all of a sudden my mind is going to all the things that have to be done, all the things, all the things that happened overnight, all the people that didn't win, other short scenes that didn't win, all the bad things that happened in the news, and all of a sudden I'm behind the eight ball before I've even woken up and gotten out of bed. Jesus goes to properly orient for the day to soothe and bathe himself in scripture to get himself on the solid bedrock of the word to focus himself on Lord what are you calling me to today where are you taking me where, where are you leading me Lord would you have my heart right would, I, would the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable before this day has even started Lord let me be focused and fixated onto you and number three he retreats to a quiet place, devoid of distraction, properly oriented to the day. And number three, intentional in purpose. Jesus wakes up and goes with intentionality and departed to pray. That was his purpose. Can I tell you that I have never met a strong believer with a thriving prayer life. They would ask, tell me about, how did you cultivate a prayer life? I have never met a single person that said, you know, it just kind of happened. I don't know. I just kind of started praying one day and never stopped. Never have I met somebody that said, ah, man, I don't know. I just found my way into a closet one day. Just been praying in there ever since. I don't know. It just happened. No, everybody tells me, no, it, it was intentional. I got around other prayer partners. I started learning how people pray. I started focusing in on it. I started setting aside time for it. I started removing distractions. It's something that they cultivated over years and years to thrive this beautiful prayer life over years of growing and study in it, pushing past obstacles. And here Jesus goes with an intentional and a purposeful time, set aside time that he was going to pray. I think that's a clear purpose from Jesus that here in Mark chapter 1, he is retreating and rising very early with the intentionality and purpose that he was going to pray. Which would lead us to number two, that Jesus retreats in busyness. Now, this one hit me uh, right between the eyes this week, that Jesus retreats in busyness. Let me read Luke chapter 5 for you. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And he, while he said to Jesus, he fell on his feet and he's begged. He said, Lord, if you can, please make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and crowds gathered to hear him. And he, uh, report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him. And to be healed of their infirmities. But look at chapter, verse 16 real close. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. I want us to really understand what this means. The fame of Jesus was spreading. Jesus healed a man of leprosy. 
And so everybody was bringing Jesus, their people with infirmities and diseases, everybody's pressing against Jesus. I want you to imagine for a moment, in Montgomery, Alabama, a new doctor came to town. And this doctor, if you just went into his waiting room and you saw him, cancer would just melt away. No long-term going and getting radiation, no uh, pills, no chemo. If you went and saw him, sat in his waiting room, and he touched you, you would be made completely well of cancer. Can you imagine what would happen in our city? Not just in our city, but in our state, in our nation. People would be flying in from everywhere to come and sit in this doctor's office to be healed of cancer. Right? Can, you, I mean, can you imagine the, the cancer center in Montgomery just being backed up, backlogged with people overnight, all the time, waiting to see this doctor to be healed of their cancer? Can you imagine for a moment what that, what that could be like? This is Jesus. He, he healed people of their infirmities. So people are bringing Jesus, people, all the time. You got leprosy, you're seeing Jesus. You got a friend in another town, you're finding Jesus all the time. You're coming to find Jesus. And so in this moment, the crowds are pressing against Jesus. And verse 16 blows my mind because I'm thinking, this is your moment, Jesus. Your fame is spreading. Your ministry is happening. Have compassion on the people. They're all around you, Jesus. There are people everywhere, Jesus. You're healing, healing, healing. But verse 16 says, in the midst of all these people pressing in against him, in the midst of the needs that were great and overwhelming, people everywhere, in the midst of all this, Jesus retreated, he would withdraw, meaning he did it often. Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Can you think of the staggering nature of what Jesus is telling us? Can you see the pattern that he's showing us in the midst of the busyness? And I'll be the first to tell you, there's so many times that I think I'm just, I don't say it out loud, would never say it out loud. I'm too busy to pray. I've got too much going on. There's too much activity. There's too many things. I'm praying. I'm praying. There's too many things. And here Jesus is telling us in the midst of the busyness, he's withdrawing from it to pray. It's staggering that Jesus would feel the necessity and urgency that in the midst of people all around him vying for his attention, needing him, needing healing, he's going to withdraw to pray. And it's here that I want to pause for a moment. Because if you're like me, you, you sometimes struggle with the idea of prayer. You read the Bible and you see the Lord knows your needs before you even ask. And so sometimes the question is begged, well, why even pray? If God knows my needs before I ask, why am I even praying? Sometimes we can get frustrated and think we've had all sorts of prayer rallies and we've been praying for our city for years and years and years and years and years and it just seems like it's not getting any better, it's getting worse. We've been praying for our country for years and it just seems like the moral decline continues to get incredibly worse, incredibly fast. We, we can feel like I've been praying for these things for so long. And Lord, if you know the needs before I do, why, why even pray? If I've got so much to do, why give me this extra thing? I've got to pray about it. Lord, aren't you sovereign? Don't you know all things? Why, why am I even having to report to you these different things? But what I can tell you, as we look at these next two points, in the midst of all of those questions that sometimes arise in our souls, We see over and over and over again 
Jesus, fully God, fully man, found prayer of such value, of such necessity, that he rose early in the morning, that he withdrew from mission and people to pray. If Jesus did it, and Jesus found such value in it, Surely we who leave prayer on the table are missing an extravagantly good power that God has given for us. If we refuse to do it, then we're leaving something that God has given us as a gift on the table, unused, untapped. So let's continue on in a moment. Number three, he retreats even in his busyness. And number three, he retreats in anticipation of what is to come. In Luke chapter 6, 12 through 13, a momentous moment is happening. And often through Jesus' ministry, in momentous moments, he would retreat and withdraw with intentional prayer focus. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 13, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. You begin to see these patterns all through the scripture where Jesus says, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And uh, as his, was his custom, he withdrew to desolate places and prayed. But Luke chapter 6, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night... He continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and he chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Before Jesus made this momentous decision of who his apostles would be, what was his pattern? Jesus went up to a desolate place, he went up to the mountain and he prayed through the night. And this is remarkable. You would think, well, Jesus, you're fully God, fully man. Did you really need to pray? Surely you knew who these guys were going to be anyway. So why why did you have to pray? Jesus, you you knew that you were going to endure the cross. Why did you go to Gethsemane? Surely you have the power and the strength to do this. Why did you go into Gethsemane? And why were you sweating drops of blood? Why Why do you continue to retreat to desolate places? Why do you continue before your ministry to pray? You go back to Mark chapter 1. He retreats to a desolate place and he's praying there and he's all alone. And Simon and disciples, they're searching for him and they find him. Everybody's looking for you, Jesus. And he says, let's go to the next town. This is why why I came. And he goes throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And all of that started because he began in prayer. Go to this retreating in anticipation. Jesus, before he chooses the 12 disciples, the men who would found the church and take the gospel to all nations around the world. He spends a night steadfastly praying. And I gotta tell you, sometimes you can feel like Peter, James, and John. When you know in our souls, Lord, I know that I know that I should be praying for so many massive things. I know as a father that I should be on my knees often and always for our three kids because I know they're being raised in a new generation that is full of rampant wickedness and a generation that is so dark and needing. There are times you feel the spirit is willing but the flesh is so weak. And this is why we look at this and we see we, he's praying in anticipation, knowing that there are things coming, that he is setting aside time to go to the mountain, to go up and pray with intentionality. And in this new year, can I tell you, there's a lot that we are called to and need to be praying for. The Bible calls us to fast and to pray. Do you have big decisions that you are making in this new year? Are you fasting and praying? Do you have decisions you're making? Do you have children or grandchildren that you've been praying for, are you fasting and praying for them? 
Are you getting away and praying intentionally for them? Do you have decisions to make in your household? Are you setting aside time to say, we are praying for this in this season. We're going to pray for this together. Let's move to number four. Jesus encourages our persistence. Luke chapter 18, I'll, I'll let you read the whole portion. But in Luke chapter 18, one through four, he tells us this. Luke's responding to Jesus and he says, and he told them a parable. Jesus told them a parable to the effect. Thankful that Luke summarizes a parable for us. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. If I can just speak those simple verses and words into your soul today. Because there are some of you that this is, this is what's stopping you in prayer right now. That Jesus would say, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. Now, I, I know, I know that there are some in this room or maybe many in this room, you've lost heart. You've been praying and praying and praying and praying and it just feels like, can you get down on the knees and can you pray one more time for this thing that just seems to be ever present in your life? Can you pray one more time for the city? Can you pray one more time for our nation and its rulers? Can you pray one more time for someone who's turned aside? Can you pray for one more time for your enemy who seems to stab you in the back over and over again? Jesus would say to us this morning, this parable to the effect that we are always to pray and not to lose heart. Don't give up. Keep knocking. Seek search, keep searching. Keep asking. Keep going to the throne. Keep approaching the throne with confidence. I can't tell you what a joy it is to think about the reality. That prayer is simply communicating with the God of this universe that you have that right and privilege as a son and daughter of the Most High to approach boldly the throne of grace with confidence. Which will lead us to the end. In this new year, let's press into prayer for this new year. And let me tell you some practical application that we can leave this place with. As a staff, we believe that we need to give opportunities for us to pray to start this year. We talked to our prayer team and everybody wants to start this year full of prayer. And so tonight, we're going to come back at 5 o'clock with the journey of prayer. Little stations around the church that you can pray through. And you can come after the discipleship classes or stay at the end of the night of worship or night of prayer. We're going to come back at 6.15 in this room. And we're simply going to pray. I will not preach. We're just going to pray. We're going to sing a little bit and we're going to pray. We're going to get in little groups individually and we're going to pray. We're going to lead you through that time. We're just going to come into this room and we're going to pray. And we're going to come back every day this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. 6.30 in the morning, we're going to rise and go with intentionality to a place and we're going to pray. I'm going to try my hardest. I'm going to leave my watch and my phone outside the room. We're going to gather in groups. We're going to gather individually. And for 30 minutes to start our day, we're going to pray. Maybe you can't make it every day. Maybe you can make it one day. Maybe you're not able to make it because of work, but you want to set your alarm at 6.30 every morning and you want to pray. But this week, one week of prayer, 6.30 in the morning to 7 o'clock. We will be done at 7 o'clock. We're going to come in together with a focused time to pray. No frills, no sermon, nothing crazy. Going into that historic sanctuary, getting down on our knees at that altar, sitting in the pews and praying. 